We're continuing our studies in 1 Corinthians, uh, also known as 1 Californians, because of the similarity. And today um, is the third thought process of uh, Paul's answer to, to the root cause of divisions in the church. And as I mentioned before, uh, chapter 1 through 6 or 7, um, Paul is dealing with the problems that were brought uh, from the household of Chloe. And they're kind of sharing about these kind of things are going on and concerned Paul's heart much. The first problem that he dealt with as soon as, as, as the greeting's over, was a division in the church. But this division problem was rooted in the root cause, the deeper problem. And last few weeks, we've been uh, meditating on that together. And simply put, it, it is a worldly influence, secularization of the church. So before we go into the this, um, today's passage, let's look at that together quickly. A root cause of the Corinthian divisions was that their spirituality was influenced by worldly wisdom, eloquent speech, and power. Greek philosophy was the mode of operation, not only outside the mainstream culture of Corinth, but within the church as well. And this is so much like our world, isn't it? Um, we're bombarded with this, the popular uh, speakers, a very eloquent uh, speech and talks, uh, even in online, you could listen to it and put Facebook post uh, small sound bites of it. And because of that, the much of church culture were infiltrated by that worldly influence as well. And Paul's cure, answer, antidote for that was three challenges. It's a basically thought process is uh, chapter 1, verse 17, through all the way to today's passage, chapter 2, verse 5, is one thought process, but three different challenges. The first challenge is this. Consider the word of the cross. If you're really so into the worldly wisdom and eloquent speech and rhetoric, consider the message you believed, it was foolishness, folly to the Gentiles, and stumbling blocks, scandal, offensive things to the Jews. There is no such a thing that dying Messiah on the tree. Anyone who died on the tree was cursed, according to the Old Testament. For... Um, savvy Greco-Roman world, the fact that people could believe 
on the Messiah who cannot save himself and died on the cross a miserable death. And then that becomes a salvation, pathway to salvation, was moronic. But Paul is saying, consider the word of the cross. It is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. God has intentionally chosen foolishness of men to shame the world, to shame the wise. The second challenge was, okay, then now let's turn to you. Consider your calling when you came to believe in the message of the cross. Not many of you, that many, the word many is important, because if Paul said not any of you came from noble background, that means the intellectuals and noble people and power, uh, wealthy people, could not be saved. But there are few sprinkles of those people, but vast majority of Corinthian church, as well as our modern-day church, like ours also too, did not come from noble background, powerful positions and status. Why? This is a God's way of doing His work, showing His power. And we have said that God's choice is God-centered. And then I think maybe I want to take this opportunity to explain what that is a little bit. Take example as um, David and Goliath story. Okay, this is a worldly wisdom point of view. The secular people listen to that, and even in online, and and they, they will quote and things like this. And what would we say? What would they say about the lesson? from the David and Goliath story. They'll say this, no matter how small you are, no matter how big the problem is, no matter how gigantic your enemy is, believe in yourself. You have what it takes. Awaken the giant within you. That's the secular wisdom. Taken to the culture of our, within the Christian culture, it could be like this. Very similar, different than yet similar as well. Though you might have the wall bigger than you, you cannot get through. But with God's help, all things are possible. So you can be a victor. Trust in God. It sounds good so far, right? But you can make things happen. Which means you are the center, you are the actor. God is the means to uh, your end. That's very, very dangerous, subtle. The prosperity gospel is all about that. Name what you want and believe hard because God can do anything for you and claim it. Don't doubt it. Don't ever doubt it. But God-centered message is this. David, in people's eyes, 
is weak. Goliath should have won. There is no question about it. But God is bigger than Goliath and then David. When David simply surrendered himself to God, God overcame Goliath. Through the weakness of David. That's the message. And David being type of Christ, and that's what the symbolic things are happening in the Old Testament, what's going to happen with Christ um, destroying and overcoming sin and death for us. Today, the third challenge is consider me, Paul is saying. Consider when I and how I came to you. He said, and I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. He is actually giving himself as a prime example of God's way of revealing his power. And it, it, is, it is important for us to, to look at today's passage very carefully and very honestly. It will change the way that we do the church life and the ministry. And our, when it comes to our church's vision and value, this is so close to us. And my prayer is that God will give us a passion, a refueled passion, if you will. The steadfast commitment to this principle that Paul is expounding. Paul is talking about himself. And I, I want you to know this. Paul is not posing that something he's not. He's as real as he could be. And I want you to notice Paul's heart. Paul, Paul wears his feelings on his sleeve. And talk about transparency and vulnerability. The question we're asking is today is how was God's power revealed through Paul's weaknesses. Number one, God's power was revealed through a weak message of Paul's preaching. Verse one, again, and I, when I came to you, brothers, in Corinth, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. If you look at 2 Corinthians in 11 and verse 6, we get a little bit of a, a glimpse of what was going on. These false teachers, and they, Paul kind of named them, tagged them as a super apostles because they acted with so much, so much power, so much confidence, so much eloquence, Second Corinthians eleven five six, 6. 
Indeed, I consider that I am not the least inferior to to these super apostles, even if I am unskilled in speaking, and I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you in all things. When you think about Paul's way of coming, that he comes with intellectual background himself. He was tutored by one of the well-known Greek philosophers and and the Greco-Roman world and the rabbi that it was so fluent on the worldly wisdom as well. So it's not that Paul didn't know how to use this rhetoric, the speech, debating, the convincing words of wisdom, but he actually chose not to. He comes with utter humility, but maybe we should really Think about this in our point of view as well. When we listen to a, a speaker, sometimes there are two responses. We come away so impressed by the sermon because of the skills that, the dynamic skills that, and knowledge that the speaker has. The preacher has. We're so impressed and we're kind of thinking about the person so long. That's one. But in your life, in my life, for sure, I come away with the messages that left me with nudgings of obedience. That as soon as the sermon's over, as soon as the service is over, there was a voice, strong voice of the Holy Spirit, nudging me to act, to obey, to change. Not so much of the person, not so much about the illustrations, not so much about that person's extravagant rhetoric. And super apostles are very similar to our world. There are people who are so eloquent and I'm I'm blown away sometimes. And even in our world, listen to this. People like uh, God is using people like Billy Graham and old days of Billy Sunday, D.L. Moody. They are not known for eloquence. They are actually, the criticism for that, their message is too simplistic. Too plain, too elementary. But in that God has used those weak messages to change thousands, literally tens of thousands of people. And our problem is the word of cross seemed not enough. It sounds a little too simplistic. 
Jesus died on the cross and you believe and all of your sins will be forgiven and God will give you power to live a godly, holy life today. And you will enter the kingdom of God. And if you're a scholar and if you're a professor, I mean, in America nowadays, it might be better, but the back in the days that when strong uh, enlightenment movement, modernism were going on, and if you're a bio- biology professor or, or any kind of social science professor who believes in God, you could be ridiculed because of these reasons. And Paul is saying, I am determined and know nothing but Christ and him crucified. And once again, that does not mean that he has anti-intellectualism. Nor he has oppositions or disagreements about using any kind of persuasive apologetics. Anything like that. And even in Book of Acts, we would see Paul being become very persuasive, talking to the Judaizers and talking to the people who are, are influenced by the Greek philosophers, Athens, Philippi, Berea. He would do that. And another thing is this. This doesn't mean that we should not uh, share the gospel with intellectuals or powerful people at all. The problem is what we count on, what we put our weight in. And Paul knew exactly what was going on the culture-wise. He stayed away from what is politically correct, what, what could make him popular. And he chose to stay away from lofty speech or human wisdom. I wonder whether we're convinced. And if you call Crossway your home, your home church, I want you to know this. We are steadily and steadfastly, should I say, committed and determined to to hold the simple word of God as a power of God. And I'll talk about myself a little bit later. Unlike Paul, Apostle Paul, this Paul doesn't have many skills that hold back at all. Number two, God's power was revealed through weak way of Paul's preaching. Not only Paul had a weak message, but he had Weak posture and form and and style. Verse 3 and a little bit of verse 4, the first part of verse 4. When I was with you in, in weakness and fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom. And we all know that when Paul mentions about super apostles, it wasn't just uh, super apostles. The, 
the false teachers who are disrupting the unity and all that. But Corinthians themselves, Corinthians Christians themselves, were criticizing Paul for these kind of reasons. For example, 2 Corinthians 10.10, where they say, Paul is writing this, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. One commentator said, say that in today's standard, Paul will never make major network because he's not good enough, public speaking wise. He was rather weak. His pen was strong. Oh, they gave that kind of credit. He knows a lot and his pen, his writing is so powerful. But when he shows up, he's so... Eh. And if we look at the traditions, um, Paul is said to be a man of small stature, with a bald head and crooked legs, in a good state of body, with eyebrows meeting and nose somewhat hooked. So in other words, Paul's out appearance and public presence, he didn't really have charisma that we would imagine. But this man had confidence, different kind of confidence. And sometimes we misunderstand Paul's confession in um, Romans 1, verse 16 and 17, when he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. And then he says, wow, I, I, I wish I could be Paul, like Paul. And he doesn't have any problem. And that's not the issue, actually. It wasn't that Paul didn't have any kind of issue whatsoever. In you know, uh, Romans, he was writing from Corinth, city of Corinth. And then what he was basically feeling when he comes in, the reality was that facing the wealthy and intellectual, powerful Corinthian culture. Uh, sounds like Southern California, Orange County, powerful culture. Paul was intimidated. Not because he wants to be look good, but because he was determined with his mission to sharing the gospel. Was there a temptation to shy away from preaching the simple word of cross? Yes. Was there a real fear that he felt weak? Yes. And look at this man. He has nothing to lose. He's not hiding and posing anything. He doesn't appear to have his self-confidence and his charisma is woozing out of his speaking style at all. Many, we would see that in many televangelists in our days. In spite of all this, Paul chose, these are my words now, humble confidence. He was utterly humble. 
because he can he were he was convinced that he can do he can't do anything apart from God's power. But he was confident because his sufficiency didn't come from his style or method or wisdom or lofty speech, what he could do, but in God. He chose humble confidence. What does that, what does that look like? When we are choosing humble confidence, we have an absolute trust in the Word of God. The Word of God. Uh, should I say the, the weak message of the cross. And he intentionally avoided the worldly wisdom. I wonder what went through the first Corinthian Christian's mind when, he, when they're reading this. They couldn't deny the fact that Paul brought this message very plainly and simply. They received and they, they were they were impacted and tra- transformed by it. There's a like a strong current, but everybody wants this. I think in our culture, well, this is what I mean by this. <clears throat> There's a strong tendency for us to identify with a speaker or a teacher or a spiritual leader, that we become strengthened by that association. And we ought to be very careful about where our heart is going and leaning against and leaning in. Whether it is the human wisdom or the ability of a man and woman or God. My story is this. I actually um, struggle with this over and over. Number one, I'm a nonverbal person. It's not just English, my first or second language. I'm a nonverbal person, so if you ask me to speak uh, and express something in, in Korean, also, too, there are parts that I would uh, take long. And even, even in our church people, I, I, you know, some of you already experienced it. On the phone, there's a long pause. So, Hello, are you there? Um, I'm thinking for you. Can you play some background music or something? <laughs> On top of that, I'm a 1.5 generation. I came to States when I was 16. And my self-consciousness is always about this tongue-tightness and wrong pronunciation, imperfect sentences, and grammar. And as I'm looking at this over and over, especially at Crossway, I'm at the crossroad, choosing to believe, yes, 
I need to admit my weaknesses, and I could improve on some things. But do I really believe that if I could be certain way in my public skills, and that I sometimes, you know, admire certain type of speaker, if I become like him, will I become powerful? That's wrong message, isn't it? The same way from listener's point of view also too. How do you evaluate a sermon or 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 worship? There's so men centered in California coming away. So, oh, that was wow. he rocked the house. What what did you listen? What did God speak to you? I don't know, but he was good. <laughs> that that story was hilarious. We we've all been there, right? But is that the work of the Holy Spirit? The power of the Holy Spirit is hindered by our trust and reliance on human wisdom and lofty speech. Once again, one another clarification is this. there are dynamic speakers who are utterly humble and confident in God. And they continually die to themselves. So when they speak, there's work of the Holy Spirit powerfully moving. There's nothing wrong with that. Actually, we, we want to see more of those people. But the lure is, when you become popular, when you're in the limelight, when you are capable in so many ways, there is a stronger temptation. And there is a stronger temptation of that church or followership. What does cross we believe? We believe with all our heart if we surrender humbly to the to the teaching of God's word, that God's word is sharper than any two-edged word sword, sword, that it could penetrate our heart, it could change us, it could transform us from inside out. At the same time, we should even highlight and really thinking that no matter what I do, how savvy I am sharing the gospel with my non-Christian friends, how logical, how philosophically congruent in, in my presentation might be, nothing can change their heart except the power of the Holy Spirit. Now third, the conclusion goes like this. God's power was revealed through Paul's utter dependence on the Spirit's power. So Paul was convinced that his humble confidence was there. But he wasn't kind of testing it out left and right and giving it a, a you know, case by case. Maybe this one I could handle. Maybe I need God's Spirit's power a little bit here. Every single moment of his life and ministry. He was determined to be utterly dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 4, again. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom. The two different words, my speech and my message, might not necessarily two separate things, but he's covering the area. Not only the content, but the style. 
Not only the, the message, but the delivery. We're not in plausible words of wisdom, but in, the, in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. Why? So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And I think it's important for us to really to look at this utter dependence of the Holy Spirit. It's not only for the preachers or the pastors or apostles or missionaries. But day to day, the need for spirit dependence on every single one of us is so crucial. See, if you really believe what Jesus said, apart from me, abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branch, branch, branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So Paul's humble confidence led, led him to be utterly dependent on the demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit. So in our lives, in, in, um, even when we are sharing the gospel with others, the people who are not believers, instead of trying to be clever, we need to be mindful about dependence, our dependence and, and guidance to the guidance of the Holy Spirit. How can we listen the sermons in this way. When you come Sunday morning worship, and when you come to the home group study, preparedness and the readiness to receive God's word, and trusting and relying on the Holy Spirit's power to speak to you, that utter anticipation is something we need. Sisters, brothers, listen to me. If we do not do that, become intentional about that, our default mode is men-centered. Men-centered means me-centered. When you're walking in, it becomes a show. How can this show, a worship service, a.k.a., touch me, inspire me, in some sense, that lift me up? Then I will come back. Otherwise, I'm not sure. What if you really believe God wants to speak to you and he has given us his word and his word might be simple enough for you to think that isn't there something more that preacher can bring? That's something more intellectual, something more savvy, something more inspiring to move my heart? Then we have capitulated into the culture, our American culture, Oprah Winfrey culture. Would you do that? Would you become vigilant this coming week? Look at the post of Facebook, the people, what they're sharing. It's largely inspirational, man-centered wisdom. So, in this sense, I think as we're 
embracing this steadfast commitment to God's word and to become obedient, to become open that the Holy Spirit is free and welcome to speak to each one of us. Oh, we will become dangerous community. Because when we put our confidence in God, there might be pressure and stress that Paul, even persecution, Apostle Paul endured and, and, and faced day to day. Even ourselves, the crazy world out there, we will be solid. We will not be removed. Our conviction will grow stronger in our hearts. How beautiful would that be? Being expressed in fruits of peace and joy and humble, humble confidence and patience, self-control. The fruits, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. I think the section is ending this time in next week. Actually, two weeks from t- today. Next week is Father's Day. Father's Day, so we will have a special message on that. We will actually enter into God's wisdom. And Paul is going to, uh, now instead of becoming, answering de- defensively, but he's going to come become more proactively. You really love wisdom, and I'll show you God's wisdom going into that starting with verse 6 below. But um, in summary, I think there's no other person than John Stott. Summarizes it so well. So I use his word to conclude. He writes, The central theme of Paul's Corinthian correspondence, and especially of 1 Corinthians 1, 17 to 2, 5, is power through weakness. We have a weak message, Christ crucified, proclaimed by weak preachers full of fear and trembling, received by weak hearers, the socially despised. For God chose a weak instrument, Paul, to bring a weak message across to weak people, the Corinthian working class. But through this triple weakness, the power of God was and still is displaced. We see this principle supremely in Jesus Christ and his cross. For when in Judean desert the devil offered him power, he declined the offer. Instead, he gave himself voluntarily to the ultimate weakness and humiliation of the cross. Therefore, God has exalted him to the supreme place of power and authority in the universe. The Christian leaders needed in the world and the church today are those who know that God's power will be exhibited not in displays of power but in their weaknesses. Amen.
Crossway, even as we are anticipating um, Alter to retreat, and I think our retreat team has become well-oiled machine, and then our elders and I gathered together. How should we lead this retreat together? And we spent 25 minutes of our leadership team meeting, beginning portion of it in prayer. I'm going to ask you to do the same thing. Why? Because uh, if we really look for the twofold purpose of the, the retreat is spiritual renewal and unity, and God-centered unity, and so simply put, we can't do it by programming, by planning, by smart ideas. We are to be utterly dependent. So at the end of our, our uh, threesome group time, I'm going to ask uh, at least a couple of people pray within your group. But may God's power be with us. And may God use us through the weaknesses in each one of us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this reminder and important message for our generation and this culture. Would you teach us to choose the humble confidence that we are humble enough to turn away from worldly ways and the savvy, trendy, popular things to your word and to your message of the cross. We also pray for confidence, that confidence that comes from you, not in our own ability. Oh God, use our church and use our weaknesses for your glory to impact the world around us. We pray all these things in the name of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Spirit. Amen.